we're recording this one in the morning and I have a morning routine, stretch, meditate, coffee, journal, exercise. And on some days, as it turns out, start a podcast. I've done all of these things today, except one until now. So let's start the back nine. This is the back nine with Dennis Williams and Josh Mora. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. What's going on? Have I done any of those things? Yeah, I had coffee. I didn't do my stretching or my meditating. I'm not against it. And it's not like I don't do it, but I didn't have time this morning. You had to sleep in. You need your beauty sleep. I had to walk. The you dog. look great. I, had to walk, I walked the dog. I don't have a dog okay. right now. So, there you so go. <laughs> I had so I had time to do this. I think we should have a conversation. I feel as long as we're up, as long as we've done, as long, I've done my things, you've taken care of the dog. And we have a great guest this week. We do. We do. I'm excited. Certainly fits the pattern that we yeah. have of either former colleagues, people in the business. For those of you who don't know, Josh and I have a broadcast career many eons ago. We were sportscasters back in the day. So we have a lot of colleagues around the country. If we're not one degree of separation, we're pretty darn close to a lot of different people. And yeah, our guest today is pretty cool. And this guy is a guy I met very early on that journey, really my first gig. And I started at this place a couple of weeks before he did. This was in West Palm Beach. And he had come from Albany, Georgia. And then, if I have that right, and then West Palm, and then went to CNN at a really young age when CNN was building out its sports department, got out of the business for a little while, and then got back in on the news side, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and has been a mainstay in Atlanta. He's also started a new business while doing all of these things. He's the king of all media in Atlanta. He is Justin Farmer. Justin, my good friend, it is so great to see you. Amazing to see you, Josh. And let's just be very clear, the bar is very low. So let's be careful with the accolades. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, you, you have raised them wherever you've been. You certainly were in, instrumental in my life. And if I'd like to start, if you don't mind, in that gap between CNN and getting back into the business, because I think that's the part that's most relatable for the bulk of our audience, that moment where you've been working towards something that you've always wanted to do or thought you wanted to do. And suddenly there's an obstacle in your way that you didn't anticipate. And so I wonder if you could take us back to that stretch of time, what you were feeling in that moment and how you approach the problem solving of, okay, what do I want to do that's different? And how am I trying to find myself and what matters to me and what's in alignment now? Okay. So funny you mentioned CNN and some of my fondest memories in the industry, Josh, working with you in West Palm, we both made probably $8 an hour which if you're trying to go out in Palm Beach, is we were below the poverty line. Um, but it was a, a glorious experience to live uh, in South Florida. But to the point of CNN, it's funny, I'm redoing my home office and I came across the most trouble I ever got in my television career was at CNN. And I have to tell this story briefly because it's a classic. It, this, when I found this letter it, from Gus Lalone, it'll be framed in my office forevermore. And the letter went like this. Justin, in last night's broadcast, during a cutaway of, I believe it was a Mets pitcher, David Cohn or something, he was sitting in the dugout and he had his finger in his nose. You said on the air to your co-anchor, fetch it 10 bucks, he eats it. That is not funny. It's childish. It's unacceptable. Yada, 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 yada. Right. CNN, they hated the irreverence. So 
I got in a lot of trouble. So went all the way up to a guy named Jim Walton, who at the time was the president of CNN Sports, went on to become the press senior VP and president of CNN, the big boy CNN. Mm -hmm. Jim brings me in. He says, Justin, what the hell's going on, man? And I said, Jim, geez, if you wanted me to be honest, the producer laughed. It's the hardest I've ever heard my producer laugh in my ear. My co-anchor was cracking up. All the writers in our news, they thought it was just funny. It was like the whole Caddyshack reference, right? The whole line from Caddyshack, which 10 bucks eats it. I think it was Caddyshack. But anyway. It was, it was yeah, Caddyshack yeah. for sure. So that's what just popped in my head on live TV doing baseball at 2 a.m. for the West Coast in Atlanta. Jim says, what's going on? I said, Jim, I got, do you think Jim wants to hear anything from a 27-year-old punk sportscaster? Right. No, he does not. But I felt entitled to tell him what I was thinking. And I said, Jim, I got to be honest with you. ESPN's kicking our butt, ESPN News at the time, because they're leaning into the, it was back when irreverence was brand new and cool, old Stu Scott thing and all that. And I said, we're way too buttoned up here. It's just too conservative. And I, and you guys have meetings all the time about why it's not catching on, what's going on with our ratings. And I said, my two cents you didn't ask for is that we got to loosen up around here, man. About six months later, they said, hey, you're welcome to go work somewhere else if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> they did great. That was their idea of loosening up. They let you loose, right? Yeah. Perfect idea, Justin. There's the door. So that was fun. But yeah, that was uh, the first sign for me that sportscasting, as is, is much fun as it was, was probably not my jam for the long term. If that meant I was really trying to picture what would the next 10 or 20 years of the business look like. And But the question you asked me, I believe, Josh, was... Do you mean now or do you mean back then? Back then, what were you thinking about? Because suddenly you're on the streets after something that you had dedicated your college life and your early professional life towards pursuing, and now you have to figure out what's next. Yeah. In those days, I've always had a very entrepreneurial spirit, and I am admittedly a tough person, a tough employee to manage, and I know that about myself. And so about 60% of my bosses and I get along fantastically, and we get each other. And about 40% of the bosses I've had through 31 years in television, and I have been like this because I'm not the easiest person to manage. It's not that I'm a prima donna or a pain in the ass. I've always been close with my producers and whatnot. It's just, I kind of like doing things my own way. And that dovetails into what you asked me, which is, so after doing the sports casting thing from right out of college until I was whatever, I was 29 or something, I wondered what else could I do? Did I have talent to do anything else? At that time, I hadn't been married very long to my first wife, and we took the opportunity to move to Dallas, Texas, and I tried a couple of things in private business. A friend of mine and I, who's now a business partner, was our first attempt at being business partners together, and we tried to win a Krispy Kreme franchise, and we were looking nice. at that. We finished second place on that. And so basically what happened at that time, Josh, was I didn't do enough planning. I wasn't ready yet. I was barely 30, and I decided... After 9-11, I'm going to go back into the business. Bye. L live. Bye. Love you. My 11-year-old. So I said, I've got to go uh, back in the business and, and pay some bills. How do I want to do it this time? So that is when I got back into the business on the news side. And that was inspirational. And that's when I hit my stride for that career. So Justin, you have uh, kids, right? How has that transition been? I think you have kids close to the same age as mine. And it's interesting that transition when they get older we talk a lot about that as part of the back nine when you adjust to the kids being not on the payroll anymore, <laughs> unless they are, I don't know, and on their own. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, I have a daughter in New York City, and she's off the payroll now, and so I'm very proud of her. Uh, I've got a junior in college, and so he'll be off the payroll soon, which I'm very much looking forward to, and I remind him of that frequently, that he better get a job. Um, 
But in terms of a transition, I don't know that it's a whole lot different. Really, Dennis, I'm not sure that it's changed much in, in terms of the way I think about my career. The fact that they're out of the house is, is nice. For my 11-year-old, what does enter my mind frequently today is it's very tough for me to miss baseball games and football practices. A lot of the most important things that happen, at least in our family, a lot of the most important things that happen in family time, whether it's sports activities, dinner together, just enjoying a sunset on the back of deck or what have you, happens between 4 and 7 p.m., which is precisely when I'm on the air. And that has been something that's gnawed at me for a long time. So that gnawed at me, and that's why I got out of the business in 2008. You, you did miss those times. It, it, it's very difficult. People think it's so glamorous, but that career, because of the hours you work, and then in sports, when you're working entire weekends, 14-hour days on weekends, it, it's a grind, right? Like you realize that it's a glamorous job in your 20s, but I think you had the foresight to realize that it wasn't going to be for you in your 30s and 40s. Do you have a little more flexibility now? Do you have a little bit more opportunity to call your shots? Definitely. And that's to, to be candid about it. I, I would say this to my bosses um, as well. I wouldn't say anything on here that I wouldn't expect them to hear. But yes. And I'm just one of the few and I recognize that. And so I'm grateful for that. But in the past few years of my career, I've been able to say, look, I don't have to do this for the money anymore. If I'm going to continue doing this, I would really like to be able to do these three things. More vacation time, more flexibility with hours, uh, pick the stories I want to do. And that's rare. And I'm grateful for that, Dennis. Let's take a quick break. Listeners, Dennis and I have a lot of experience with friends, uh, people that we know who have found success on their back nines. Yeah, one of them is one you know from grade school, a guy named Michael who was connected to Che Brands. And the founder, Chase Glick, one time weighed 350 pounds at 23 years old. Lost a ton of weight, realized during that weight loss journey that he missed out on his social life. And when he got back into the social life in that world, he didn't want to compromise that new healthy lifestyle. So he realized the Better For You market was growing, but did not understand why no one had created Better For You spirits. So he set out on a mission to create a line of Better For You zero sugar, low carb, plant-based spirits. Those Better For You products include zero sugar, low carb, low calorie flavored vodka, and ready-to-drink cocktails, coconut mojito, lemon drop martini, zero caffeine vanilla espresso martini. Visit chayproducts.com for more. The Back Nine podcast is brought to you in part by Three Bridges Consulting. And look, I'm sitting across from one of the founders. At their core, Three Bridges are storytellers. They bring your brand to life with high-quality video and rich still photography and they can help elevate your brand by finding the right distribution channels for the content they produce. So visit threebridgesconsulting.co. That's the number three, bridgesconsulting.co for more. Now back to the show. What I hear in your responses, both to my question about where you were 20 years ago and in your responses to Dennis about balancing work time and family time is that in all of those cases, you've had a really good sense of what is essential to you. What is the most, what is the top of your priority list? How did you get to that point? Because I think a lot of people, when they go through struggles, whether it's suddenly needing a new job or out of a, an important relationship, it's finding that point that can be that tent pole where they are grounded uh, or connected to rebuild their life or an aspect of their life around. How did you get to that point? Or did it just come naturally to you? Gosh, 
Josh, a lot of bourbon drinking. That's for sure. I don't know. I don't meditate because if I allowed myself to be that quiet, the volume of the demons who would be using that as their opportunity to speak to me would be deafening. It's coming to, if you're asking, am I have it figured out and I'm a guy who, who sits in a place of clarity and peace? No, I do not. Uh, that is always a struggle for me. And I'm happy to admit that. I am always working on me. I'm extraordinarily imperfect, but there's some things that I'm very focused on. And that's probably what gets me through, Josh, is I'm able to understand of all the things that are troublesome and that are troubling to me, there are certain things that are absolutely not. And so I lean into those. I have a, a circle of guy friends who um, sustain me when everything else gets noisy in life or, or the ups and downs of normal things in life. Those core group of, of human beings really sustain me. It's safe. It's secure. I can truly reveal myself. My wife and children, that sustains me. And I and sorry if that sounds, of course, he's going to say that. But genuinely, those things and the one thing I like to do for me is I like to work out alone, train, whether I'm running with my dog or on a Peloton or just playing golf alone. Sometimes I use that in, in, instead of hiring a therapist. That's really good. Go ahead. That's meditation in itself. So Justin, Josh talks about the traditional sense of meditating with sitting by yourself. But I love what you just said. It's different for different people. You actually do. If you play golf alone, I do that too. I love that when I get the opportunity to do that. And that is a form of meditation, right? You're not interacting. You are able to be in your own space. You're enjoying nature. I can remember like the times when I get to do it when the sun's just coming down and I'm by myself. Like to me, th there's different ways for people to have those like healing moments. So I think it's important. That's a good nugget for the, for this show is for people to realize that you don't have to meditate in a traditional sense. A lot of those things that you're mentioning fill that role. Would you agree? I agree completely. You're right. That, that probably is because it's in those quiet moments where you're the only thing you might hear is a, a, a rustle in the trees or the, the sound of a bird's wings fluttering or something. That really elevates my spirit and my outlook on life that things are okay and that I'm just a small little piece and this is all temporary. And those kinds of thoughts come into my brain and it helps put a problem where it is. I think a couple of people have said it, but I believe it was Einstein, at least the one I read, where it's something effective and I'm butchering this, lean into nature run to nature, nature never fails you. And it was yeah. basically his way of saying he leans into nature when he's troubled. I think there's something I'd like to mention to you guys when you talk about transition, Josh. I think it's really important with the name of this podcast, The Back Nine, and you're thinking about evolving and the kinds of thoughts we've all probably had, especially pe people like the three of us who have been in one kind of career that's very focused and very well-defined and then moving on to these other kinds of things that are less so is that for your listeners and viewers is that it's okay for it to be really scary and for there to be a lot of uncertainty and fear. And the thing that 50 something year old Justin knows that 30 year old Justin did not know is this, is that you hear those stories about the entrepreneur who suddenly becomes worth 20, 50 or a hundred million dollars because there's sexy Hollywood story, but yeah, I maxed out all my credit cards and I was $45,000 in debt. And then I went and invented this thing and now I'm a hundred millionaire. That's bullshit. Does that maybe happen? Yeah, that's a lottery ticket. I don't advise that, but it's the best analogy I heard was a Marine talking about entrepreneurs and success. And he said, if someone came to you and said, I'm going to give you $2 million if you can cross the next three miles of this treacherous portion of the Amazon jungle, would you stop 
and plan for those three miles? Or would you just run and start? I would hope that you would really plan carefully. Okay, what am I going to need? What amount of water? Do I need blades? Do I need fire? What can I take with me? How am I going to survive these three miles to get these $2 million? Similarly, I've tried to approach what kinds of things I'm working on now in the latter part of my television career for what I want to do the next 20 years of my life is, yes, there's going to be fear and uncertainty, and I cannot remove that. There's no way to remove that fully. But what one can do, especially if there are people who depend on you, that I would just recommend really carefully plan. That does not make it less sexy. It makes you more of an adult. You know, we talk a lot about that. That's such a, a wonderful way to put it. You said it so much more eloquently than we often do on this show and in person. But we talk about it going to act three, right? And that this is the third act of our lives. And you've done that. You have another thing that you've started with Savannah Liquors. And you mentioned bourbon drinking and you took that <laughs> seriously enough to create your own. So tell us a little bit about how you chose that path and what's going on with the company now. Yeah, basically, I just have always enjoyed brown spirits. And back in 2012, when my wife's pregnant with our third child, I started writing a business plan. And I basically just wanted to bring to market a high quality bourbon from Georgia. A lot of people erroneously think bourbons can only come from Kentucky. It's not true. Obviously, some of the best bourbons on earth are from Kentucky. But the truth of it is bourbon um, has very specific requirements. Number one is it must be made in one of the 50 U.S. states. You could make the exact process we do and do it in another country. Then it's a whiskey. It, mm -hmm. A bourbon is, is inherently American. And new oak has to age in new oak and whatnot. But so I started seeing in, in various newspapers and whatnot, especially the Wall Street Journal caught my attention was that the bourbon craze was coming. Again, this was uh, almost 12 years ago. And uh, so I started doing some research and long story short, Josh, is I felt like what harm could be done to, to hire a master distiller to find a bottler, a co-packer, and just start getting in the business. What would happen? It was almost because I had a job that allowed me to do something that I didn't know much about at all. Recruited a guy who used to work at Coors, great friend, was my roommate in West Palm, as a matter of fact. And, and another guy who was really good at operations, and we just got in the water and started doing it. So that's an example that sounds that it runs contrary to my previous point. But the major difference there is that my mortgage didn't depend on that, right? So we got into that thing, and then all these years later, it's been the education of a lifetime. No one's getting rich off of it. Who knows if what it'll become? Uh, it's got cool potential. But that's all it has. We're available in a lot of cool places and people like all of our spirits have won awards and that's nice. But really, the most satisfying thing to date is that it's given me the education I didn't have in, in college and it's given me the ability to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. Love it. That's fantastic. Justin, you're amazing as always. It's been so great to catch up with you leading up to this and uh, to have you join us today. Thanks for being with us on the back nine and uh, we'll be in touch, my friend. Yeah, bourbon and golf very soon, Justin. I, I can't wait. We're going to do bourbon and golf sometime soon. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having right. me. See you. See you, Justin. You know, I think, Dennis, people can look at a guy like Justin and he's a visible guy, right? A public figure in uh, Atlanta and in other places prior to that and think he's got it made. He must have everything. But like all of us, he's gone through his things and what looks like on the surface, like it might be perfect. It isn't perfect. He was very honest there about things that he's going through, his demons and the things that are still with him, even though he has this life that I think a lot of people who would 
be listening to this podcast or would see it from afar and say, man, that guy has everything and no worries in the world. I think we could spend a whole show on this on one thing he brought up, which is different ways to meditate. There isn't yeah. one way. I know you're really good at sitting in those quiet moments with yourself. I'm a little more like Justin. Mm -hmm. I can't meditate very well, but he made me realize I do have my moments where I meditate. Maybe it is playing golf by myself. Maybe it's in the car when I'm driving with no one on a long drive. There are things in your life where you are alone with your own thoughts, and it's important to work through those. And you don't have to put the pressure on yourself to do traditional meditation. It can help. It can mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I'm not telling anybody not to do it. I try to do it. But just know that there are other ways and other avenues to clear your head and remove those demons and get yourself in a better place. Absolutely. And he's a testament to that. I remember when 20 years ago, 20 ish years ago, almost 25 years ago now when he was going through that. And we had a we were we talked a lot then because it was difficult for him. And he found the things that were because he got quiet in whatever way that was, he was able to realign with what was important to him. And maybe not anybody else, right? It was he knew what he had to do to be authentic to himself. And he has been able to carve, in his case, a really wonderful career path and life path from that because he was able to confront those and still battles all of those things as we all do now. And I will say this, if there are any women listening, he had a very good point. He must have an amazing wife who I don't know and have not met, but the guy time, like mm -hmm. everybody needs that time, right? And women need their time with their girlfriends. Like it's really important. We see so many couples where they are nagged about things like, you, oh, you can't spend all that time with the guys and stuff. It's therapeutic in some ways. Like he he said that you do need those breaks. You, you do need. And when you have a high pressure job like he has, you need that kind of time. So I think it's important for couples to not be so clingy that they can't give up a little bit of time to their significant other to have those alone times, whether it's the all girl time, the all guy time. That's important. Yeah, yeah. The idea that, look, there's trust. If you have a good relationship, but if you trust each other, if you've built that good time together, you can allow that time for people to be on their own, to be with their friends, and to be in couplehood and, and in family time. With, they have a relatively young child, and I think that's uh, fantastic also. Uh, he's a guy who is very honest and has taken us on a really unique journey here on the Back Nine. And uh, we look uh, forward to doing more with you guys on episodes coming up here in the future. So join us next time on the Back Nine. Thank you so much for listening to the Back Nine podcast. Please follow and share and leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred platform. The Back Nine is produced by Janine Stella and recorded at Pixelworks Studios in Delray Beach, Florida.